Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello, and welcome to the A to Z Sports Big Orange Podcast. I'm Charlie Burris, here as always with my co-host, A to Z Sports Tennessee writer, Zach Reagan. Wherever you listen throughout the world, we thank you so much for listening to us. We talk balls every week here on the Big Orange Podcast. And if that sounds good to you, make sure you go over and rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe on the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed on Apple, Spotify. If you do subscribe, you won't miss our shows when we drop them there on Mondays. Make sure you go over to the YouTube. If you're not already watching on the YouTube right now, make sure you go over to YouTube and subscribe to the A to Z Sports Nashville page there because if you do, you can very literally be a part of the show. You can watch on Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern time when we go live, and you can comment and be a part of the show, and we read the comments, and we respond to them, and you can be one of those people that does that. YouTube.com, A to Z Sports Nashville. At Charlie underscore Burris, at Zach TNT, at A to Z Sports. Facebook.com slash A to Z Sports Nashville on the social medias. And A to Z Sports.com for the stuff that Zach and I write. Exciting news off the top here, Zach. Well, exciting for you and me. But also, I'll rope in the viewer here. This announcement is because of the amazing people that watch this show every single week. Watch the clips that we post on YouTube. Listen to the podcast on, on the A to Z Sports Podcast Network feed. We have two new sponsors on this show. They are supporting the boys here at A to Z. This is massive. We can't thank them enough. So let's give a shout out to all the sponsors of this show right off the top. Superbook Sports. No better place to wager on the big game this weekend than Superbook Sports. Go to Superbook Sports. Uh, go to Superbook.com and download the app today. Superbook Sports. Farm Bureau Health Plans. One of the new folks. For better coverage, better rates, and better service, go to FBHP.com slash ATOZ. That is Farm Bureau Health Plans. And back from football season, Omaha Steaks. Omaha! You can get $30 off your order of perfectly aged steaks, juicy burgers, and decadent desserts with promo code VOLS, V-O-L-S, at Omaha Steaks. Thank you, thank you, thank you to all of them. And thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody that listens listens to and watches this show. We couldn't get those sponsorships without you. Um... All right, so deal. For today's show, we are going to have to talk about that Auburn-Tennessee basketball game. <laughs> Look, it's Tennessee sports. We're going to have to talk about it. Did you watch that abomination, Zach? Uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was a tough one to get through and one that I will never forget. I mean, you think about these basketball games and we watch so many sporting events and most of the time that, you know, they don't really stick out, especially basketball games, but that one, 
I'll remember that one for a long time. 46-43. I mean, Tennessee's game against football game against Alabama had more points in it than that game. And Ugh. obviously the big story, you know, is the no call at the end. The Wendell Green shot where he wrapped his legs around, you know, the, the defender. And uh, to, to anybody complaining about that, I just say, do you did you really want to see five more minutes of that game? I don't think Auburn fans even wanted to sit through five more minutes of what we all had to witness on Saturday afternoon. <laughs> It was it was a merciful no call. <laughs> I mean, uh, obviously, I'm I'll give my take on on all of that a little later in the show. If you follow me on Twitter, you know what I uh, think of it probably. But um, I mean, that was I, I'm I'm fine saying this. I tweeted this or I I texted this to you and Austin already. It was one of the worst basketball games I ever watched in my entire life. And and I'm like, that's not even remotely hyperbole. That was one of the worst basketball games I have ever watched in my entire life. And I, you know, you go back to like the Georgetown game with with when we were in the Quan Zone back then, uh, and you know, it's it's right there with those. Just God, did they break forty uh, that game? What was the score? No, final? yeah, I didn't think thirty-seven, so. thirty-six in that one. Yeah. And Tennessee, I went back and looked. Tennessee, I, if I'm thinking correctly, from when I looked at the stats a couple of days ago, three for eleven from the free throw line in that game. Would have been would have been relative to the score. Would have been a blowout if Tennessee just makes their free throws there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just oh boy, uh, that was terrible. But we're going to cover that basketball game. We're going to talk about Tennessee basketball going forward. But the main thrust of this show is going to be football. Still, Tennessee. Finally, we talked about it on last week's show before the hire had been made. But a tight ends coach has come to the University of Tennessee football program. And uh, they went internal to Alec Ablin, who was an offensive. Uh, are they? What even is the title of the guy? I think he was word? just an analyst. Analyst, yeah. You got uh, quality control GAs, but I think he was an analyst. He he gets promoted. We're gonna give our breakdown of that. Then we're also gonna talk about the Senior Bowl that happened. Big big day for Darnell Wright. Byron Young was there too, and so was Hendon Hooker. Hendon Hooker mentioned in uh around the titans organization we'll talk about what happened there and uh we're also gonna have to throw in alabama football making some what's the right word uh not so impressive hires some unimpressive unimpressive hires for for alabama football we're gonna mock alabama because that's what we do best honestly on this show We're, we're even better at that than we are about talking about tennessee sports but um and then finally, we'll talk about basketball. We're going to throw it in right at the end because, good Lord, that was torture. All right. But before we get into talking about uh, that Tennessee hire, as always, I have to tell you about our amazing sponsors. But this week, it's going to be the newest sponsor of this show. Shout out to them, Farm Bureau Health Plans. Farm Bureau Health Plans have been serving Tennesseans for over 75 years. Much has changed in Tennessee over the years, but some has stayed the same. Farm Bureau Health Plans says. Always valued personal relationships, especially when it comes to good health and good service. Plan on Farm Bureau Health Plans for health, dental, and vision. For better coverage, better rates, and better service, go to fbhp.com slash ATOZ or walk into one of their 200-plus locations across the state of Tennessee, fbhp.com slash ATOZ. That is Farm Bureau Health Plans. Big thank you to them for uh, being a new sponsor to the show. Now let's talk about it's been weeks and it's been months coming here for this discussion. Tennessee has a tight ends coach. Alec Ablin, offensive analyst previously, 
Um, his entire history, if we want to run that down, played for Josh Heupel at Missouri in 2016-2017. He was an offensive lineman, then a tight end. Uh, actually, I heard an interview with him, and he said that he got demoted from being an offensive lineman and became a tight end. Not sure the full story there, but either way. Um, and then coached with Heupel at UCF, coached with Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss in 2019, and then came back with Heupel uh, at Tennessee, and here we are. He is a new tight ends coach right off the top. Your thoughts on this hire, Zach? Uh, I mean, we, we kind of felt like it was going to go this direction. We figured it would either be him or Jeff Ferris. I, I kind of thought it would be Ferris just because he had the experience. He's from Knoxville, has a lot of family still in Knoxville and familiar with the program, obviously. I believe his brother, you know, went to uh, went to Tennessee. Uh, but, you know, Josh Heupel loves continuity. And we saw that last year when they needed to hire a wide receivers coach. Uh, Cody Burns left. He promoted Kelsey Pope. That worked out great. Kelsey Pope has been praised for his work with the wide receivers. He's been praised for the way he recruits. Very good reputation on the recruiting trail. So a lot of, you know, underwhelming hire you kind of thought at the time, maybe when they could have went out and got like an ace recruiter type guy. But Josh Heupel's instincts paid off and that that hire worked out. I think that bought him some equity where fans are like, okay, we'll wait and see. In years past, this this hire probably would have been ripped apart by fans just promoting somebody from the staff that had never been an on-field coach before. But because that Kelsey Pope hire worked out so well, I think you got to trust Heupel on this. It, continuity is important in this offense. It, it's very important. And, and Alec Ablin goes back – almost a decade with these guys. I mean, since 2016, you know, seven years ago, he's been with Josh Heupel. He's been with offensive line coach Lynn Ellerby, who he's obviously going to work kind of close with, with tight ends and offensive line kind of, you know, in the same same area there of the field. They'll be working together quite a bit. So it, he can hit the ground running, and that's what I think Heupel really appreciates. I think the big question obviously comes down to recruiting. We don't know a lot about Alec Ablin and how he'll be able to recruit. I don't think they put him out on the road uh, after Alex Golish left, which was kind of surprising because you, you're able to put somebody else out on the road. It would, kind of would have been a let's see how he does type deal. I'd be interested to know how serious Heupel considered some other candidates and what, you know, maybe did he hear no for some, from some guys? Did Jeff Ferris want to stay out in Los Angeles? Uh, Seth Luttrell not want to go to being a position coach after being a head coach in North Texas. I, I would be interested to know how this decision was made, but you know, I think I think you got to trust him and just see how it plays out, just based on the other moves that he's made. You yeah, will never get it, but I would love an explanation from Hypel on this, just what exactly happened. And that that's not to be critical. I'm not like tell us what happened. I'm just I'm purely curious. Yeah, because uh, I mean, what it comes down to, I mean, Mr. Jones in the comments says it. Here, he says, Heupel wants to keep his offensive secrets in a close circle. I think it really could be that. He he doesn't want anything tampered with. He doesn't want a super strong voice in there, kind of disrupting the apple cart. Um, it seems like this is this is just conjecture on my part and just kind of reading the tea leaves of the situation. The man knows what he wants on offense, and he doesn't want to mess that up is what this feels like. Because, yeah, you said it there. Like, with Butch Jones, he made some real buddy pal hires, and it made me want to vomit. Like, he brought in some dudes where you were just like, who is this person? Why is this person qualified at all? They weren't. Um, 
and it's because they're just friends with Butch. Now here with Heupel, his offense has been so ridiculously good that I almost go, like I almost go, don't bring anybody in. Let's just keep the circle tight. <laughs> like I, I think that's, uh, yeah. And, and again, like Matt, Matthew in the comments, he says, in Heupel, I trust. At this yeah. point, with the Who way things we went to... this season, yeah. it, I, I trust this guy implicitly. Who of... are we to question it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think you mentioned there like Butch hiring his friends, which obviously was true. But that, I mean, doesn't that happen pretty much at every program to some extent? I mean, Nick Saban does it. Uh, Kirby Smart does it. Jeremy Pruitt did it when he was at Tennessee and when he was, you know, helping hire people for defensive staffs at other places. It, it was just Butch didn't have any friends that really knew how to coach that well. So his his friend circle wasn't very fruitful. And I think I think that was the biggest thing. It wasn't that he was taking a different approach than everybody else. He just didn't have good contacts to make these hires. And Heupel like Kirby Smart, played big-time college football. He He's made a lot of connections, and, you know, you, you go win 11 games in the SEC, uh, you, you earn a little bit of trust, and you should. I mean, you should earn that trust. He hasn't given us a reason not to trust his staff hires yet. I know there's some people that don't like, you know, Willie Martinez, for example, you know, even though he has put a lot of defensive backs in the NFL that weren't very, very highly recruited. I mean, we don't know the reasons for the, the secondary struggles and what went on there. Uh, but, but for the most part, there's not much to complain about this staff really. Right. I mean, they, they could be better in recruiting in some areas. We've heard a few things about a couple of assistants that aren't as gung ho about recruiting as some of the other guys, but I think that's pretty typical with every coaching staff to some extent. They, they landed a top 10 class and not to get really off topic here, but that top 10 class at Tennessee, because of the type of players that Tennessee recruits, like they're trying to retain these guys. They're recruiting guys that fit their culture, not a bunch of guys that are going to transfer out in a year or two. So when you look at if they're able to keep that top 10 class together, two years, you, you look at it two years from now and you look back at this class and maybe it's like a top five class because they kept all those guys and the programs ahead of them didn't. And I think that's a real factor because we've seen – the staff doesn't just go after anybody out there. So that might have something to do with the the recruiting aspect as, you know, as far as why they're not above, you know, LSU or some of these other programs that maybe they, they could be after such a great year. Yeah. That is probably the most in interesting element that I think most people have been talking about here. Can this guy recruit? Um, and, and I even saw, like I, I posted initially, I said, I'm not going to question anything that Heupel does with his offense. The only thing that I will say is hopefully Alec Ablin can recruit. That's all I tweeted initially when this hire was made. And I had some people push back and be like, only clowns are saying he can't recruit. I'm, I'm not saying he can't recruit and I'm not questioning this hire. I'm saying I hope he can because I have been new to a job before and there's a learning curve. Like, that's the way of the world. And, I mean, especially in SEC football. That is like going from, like, not, not recruiting to recruiting in SEC football is like going from a kiddie pool to the middle of the ocean. I mean, it is brutal. It, 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 it Like, you could say that people in the SEC play by a different set of rules. They almost don't play by a set of rules. It's do what you have to do. That is, I mean, just look at some of the stories that have come out from recruiting in, in the SEC from, I mean, and even down to like ACC basketball, like Rick Patino and all that wild nonsense. Like 
this stuff is down and dirty and crazy. And on top of that, at a baseline, you have to be this sort of odd blend of like a good coach and also personable and likable by 18 year old kids and really by like 15 year old kids. Cause that's when you start talking to them is all the way back then. And, and it's just kind of this odd blend that you have to have and overriding all of that. You have to be willing to work like an absolute dog, just wear yourself paper thin going and you know hopping on the team plane to go to freaking bum town wherever and go talk to these kids it doesn't matter you go to the ends of the earth to wherever they are and visit them i mean what did we had matt ray on from volquest this past week go listen to that it was a great interview um and he just talked about the coaches in the last uh month they went or it wasn't even the last month the last week of the of that serious recruiting period they went to 11 states and like some short amount of days. I don't remember exactly what he said. The schedule is just insane. And so you have to be this pretty crazy mix of different elements as a coach in, in SEC football. And, and not everybody's cut out for it. I sure as hell know I'm not. That's why I'm doing this. And so, you know, it. it's it. it I, I don't think that it's unfair to go like, I hope this guy can handle it because he just doesn't, he has no history. We haven't seen it. Maybe that's part of the reason why Heupel has went, you know, he's had two staff openings since he came at Tennessee, which is really remarkable after two years that as much as much success as they've had, they've only lost two assistant coaches and both to promotions, not lateral moves. So it wasn't anything, you know, negative that, that happened there. But he's went with youth both times to replace those guys. I mean, Kelsey Pope, a younger guy, Alec Ablin was, you know, playing SEC football less than 10 years ago. So they're both fairly young guys in their late 20s, early 30s. Maybe he thinks they'd have the energy to kind of deal with this new college football schedule because even even from the time when Josh Heupel arrived at Tennessee in early 2021, college football has changed so much. I mean, NIL wasn't really what it is now at that point. I mean, Jeremy Pruitt was just getting fired for giving 60 grand to various recruits and, and players, whereas if that happened now, you know, there's avenues to distribute that money and to not have to go through all that. So it's changed a, a ton since he's arrived at Tennessee, and I think maybe we're seeing him adapt to those changes by going younger with some of his staff. As long as they can still coach the position, obviously very important, That's you, you can do that. I think part of it, too, not to harp on the continuity thing, but and we've talked about this before, Tennessee's offense, the up-tempo, we saw it evolve even more this past season where they're not always going tempo. They'll slow it down at times. They'll go under center in the, in, in, at the goal line. And they do all this stuff without making mistakes. I mean, yeah, they have some pre-stat penalties with false starts. But outside of that, you don't see guys not aligned correctly. You don't see a bunch of like illegal men downfield penalties or illegal formation penalties. As much different stuff as they run everybody's always on the same page and that's coaching. Like that's a hundred percent coaching. And that's why this system can't easily be replicated anywhere else. Like you can say, okay, I want to run Josh Heupel's system at, you know, Kentucky. You got to have people that can coach it. They know what they're doing too, to be able to run it. It's not like just anybody can say, Hey, we're going to run this and then run it the way Tennessee does. Tennessee makes it look easy, but it's definitely not easy at all. So when you're able to bring a guy in that has this much experience in the system, they don't have to worry about teaching him so he can teach the players. He can just pick up, you know, pretty much where Alex Golish left off as a tight ends coach. I think that's really attractive and important to Josh Heupel. 
at the same time, I hope he's not afraid to go out and make a hire if he has to, because you're not always going to have that guy that you feel like you can promote. I mean, they're lucky that they had Kelsey Pope. They're lucky if, if Alec Ablin works out that they had him on staff. You know, who's the next guy? I think they've got some promising guys on that staff, but you you can't always just assume that you're going to be able to promote from within. And sometimes those those it's good to have ideas coming from the outside, right? Like Hypo runs what he runs and it's effective, but he he's evolving. He's constantly changing it. He changed from 2021 to 2022. He'll put new little things in there that that confuse defenses or give Tennessee a certain edge. And I think he can pull from other programs and what people have learned. So maybe, you know, Alec Ablin spending one year at Ole Miss under Lane Kiffin, maybe he's able to bring some new ideas to the table that they can kind of kick around. We've heard it's a really collaborative process. Like the title of offensive coordinator is almost a title because it's really that whole offensive staff that's especially – Joey Hosley and Glenn Ellerby, those two have a large voices. They've been with Hypo the longest. But, the, you know, it, it's it's a communication between those three guys and the rest of the staff that's making the offense work. It's not just one singular voice, which is kind of exciting if you think about it. It's, it's different than how a lot of programs do it. And going to the comments again, Jeff says the offense is also super simple. Uh, it is, but yeah. it's not. I mean, it – yeah, conceptually, they don't run anything outlandish, but it's also different from anything anybody else does. You know, when it's it, not just the tempo. That's what I don't think people exactly. realize. I mean, go watch. You know, obviously, we watched a lot more than an Ohio State fan, and, and I'm not faulting Jeff for not watching more Tennessee football, but there were so many times where they slowed it down. Like they went not really huddling, but they would run it down to. 10, 15 seconds left on the play clock and run difference. I mean, you saw them run a, a fullback run from under center against Alabama, and Nick Saban went on his show the next week and said, you know, my players had no clue how to defend it. They're looking around confused because they have not seen a fullback at the goal line with the quarterback under center. I mean, Tennessee went very old school on that, and that's clearly something that they're working in during the week because everybody knew to do it. It's just like – uh the Kentucky game when it was fourth down near midfield. It was a short, short, you know, fourth and one, fourth and two. Hendon Hooker had ran it on third down. He gets up, doesn't even look at the sideline. He's immediately getting everybody lined up to go sneak it. Like, they knew exactly what to do. That's the stuff that's not simple. Like, exactly. some of the formations and the routes they run and, okay, you've got eight guys in the box. We're throwing at this play. Like, yeah, that's simple, but the execution's not always simple. Yeah, the, the general concepts are not overly complicated, but it's the it's in the nuance where I think you you can see why Hypel would want to keep something like this higher in house because it is a pretty singular system that he runs. Even even looking at a guy who worked for Lane Kiffin previously, like Lane Kiffin is not doing exactly what Tennessee is doing. In fact, it's not. I don't want to say it's not particularly close, but it's it is in the same stratosphere. I would say, but it it is not the same. And so, uh, as far as that goes, I like the continuity there that you saw some quotes from players where they were complimentary of him and you saw players tweeting about it and they like the hire and that's great. I, I think that's awesome. Again, I will not question this until there's a reason to question it. Uh, I I'll really leave it at my original take that I said, I just hope he can recruit. And, and I think, um, you know, somebody who is as young and ambitious as it seems like Ablin is, I, I think it's a great opportunity to give him. I, I'll say the only thing that I noticed is in the the couple of places where I heard him in, in interviews, he's a little mild-mannered. And I 
that could be totally fine. Um, or it could mean he's like not as assertive as you need to be. I don't, that's, that's me nitpicking. That's me truly nitpicking the situation. Let me be completely clear. If I'm, if I'm having to pick something out that I want to, you know, talk about there, he was a little mild mannered, but like, you know, that's, that's me just putting on him something that I think could be a problem, but I, you know, who knows? I don't, I don't think people need to freak out if he's not landing five-star tight ends right off the bat because there's not – one, there's not that many five-star tight ends. What, there's like maybe one or two each recruiting cycle that's yeah. kind of in that top 35 players in the nation. That guy's probably going to Georgia right now. Like that's the tight end school. Alabama maybe even with their, with their new offense that we'll get into in a little bit. But like you can't expect him to go land a tight end over Georgia right now, the way Georgia's using Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington. And and the tight end's obviously important in Tennessee's offense, but you don't see those like gaudy numbers. They're not putting up huge numbers. I mean, Jacob Warren didn't go for a lot of yards. Princeton Fant it was used in a variety of different ways as a fullback, you know, blocking, just different things that he had to do that don't really show up in the box store that, yeah, it's important, but you don't get the notoriety that you get at Georgia. And that that's hard to recruit against, obviously. Yeah. So that's – he's probably not going to land those guys over Georgia, at least not for a while. And I don't think – fans have to understand that, I think. I think you could between the, the rise of Princeton fans, over the last two years. I mean, last year was so fun watching him sort of transform into this jack of all trades, mm-hmm. just really interesting player on Tennessee's team. And then if like McAllen Castles and Jacob Warren end up having big years this year, uh, one or both of them, um, I, that, you know, Mr. Jones says it here, the offense will recruit itself at a, at a certain point. You saw it with the wide receivers, Tennessee with wide receivers right now, they don't have to say anything. They go, Hey, look at this guy. He won the Blitnikoff. You want to come here? And guys are falling over themselves to come to Tennessee. Uh, I mean, you heard so many of these recruits in the month of January that came for junior day, like two, three, four of them were like, yeah, he won the Blitnikoff award. That definitely stands out. Nico Iamaliava is here. That definitely stands out. Like the thing is going to recruit itself at a certain point. So just keep, keep that up and hopefully Abel and can. And I'm sure Hypel, Hypel's not going to let it not be good to a certain extent so uh there is that and, and i did want to go back i like this point by eric in the comments he said the offense is simple in the fact that the qb is just reading the box and deciding to run or pass but there are a ton of option routes in the offense and that takes a level of familiarity between everyone on the offense yeah that's that's a good way to put it it, it is not as simple as it seems even if yeah the overarching concepts are not like completely crazy uh, but as far as the tight ends coach goes, anything else uh, you're thinking about, Zach? No, I think that that pretty much covers it for now when it comes to that tight ends coach hire. Hopefully they don't have to make any more moves. It looks like the staff is pretty much settled moving into the uh, 2023 season unless we get a random surprise of somebody leaving. Obviously it doesn't look like Hypels wants to make any changes on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's probably the right move. I know that defense was heavily criticized last year, but especially the secondary, I think keeping those guys together, I think Tim Banks was on the right path, just needs some more dudes. They got some dudes coming in this class that will be able to contribute maybe even this year. I think you'll start seeing that moving in the right direction, and I, I don't think there was any need to start over anywhere on that side of the ball. Yeah, the the way that they played with so much pride in the Vandy and, and Clemson games and then the recruiting class – I'm 
I'm easily convinced for, you know, be, being in favor of not making any changes on, on that side of the ball. I mean, I, I will say I was certainly someone that in the, especially after the South Carolina game, I was like, if Willie Martinez does not see another snap of football at the university of Tennessee, I will be okay. I'll be, I'll be full, fully upfront about that. I said it on this show, so it's on mm-hmm. record, <laughs> but uh, I, like I said, after, they, after they all things to, ended, I could be easily convinced otherwise. They're going to take a step forward. I mean, they, they, it can't be the yes. status quo. They're going to have to be better next year, but I think there were signs that they can be. I mean, they had some really, had some bad game, or really just the South Carolina game that was really bad. I don't even look at the Alabama game as bad. I mean, Bryce Young was just unconscious that day, and so was Hendon Hooker. It was just a quarterback shootout that, that you get those sometimes. Outside of those games, they played pretty well defensively i mean some really really good games the lsu game the clemson game obviously the vanderbilt game the kentucky game they had some really good showings against some good teams they did and so that between that and the recruiting i'm i'm fine with that i like the staff continuity and, and that's good so uh now we're gonna turn and we're gonna talk about the the senior bowl had some vols playing there and there has been some serious nfl draft hype for some vols after these showings. We're going to talk about that right after I tell you about another one of our great sponsors, the OG here, Superbook Sports. The final drive for the championship is here, and there's no better place to wager on football on the football title tilt than Superbook Sports. Superbook features the best menu of prop bets in the business. Plus, check out their special odds boosts and promotions at Superbook.com. With over three decades of odds-making experience of Vegas, there's no place better to wager than Superbook Sports. Win some money as one lucky team wins the championship. Download the Superbook Sports app today. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-889-9789. That is Superbook Sports. Thank you to them for sponsoring this show. Again, I can't say the name of the thing. That is this weekend. Uh, I think we all know what it is on this coming Sunday. Uh, And you can bet on that event at Superbook.com. Go and do that. Uh, Thank you to Superbook. Now, let's talk about the Senior Bowl. A lot of hype around this for for Tennessee, uh, specifically because of offensive lineman Darnell Wright. I believe he was named player of the week by the players on the team. Did I see that somewhere? And then he went out and gave a really nice performance in the actual senior bowl itself. Uh, did, did you see this? What, what'd you think? Yeah. I mean, I was keeping up with it pretty much all week. I know we had uh, a to Z sports had buck rising down there, kind of interviewing some of the guys talked to Hendon hooker and Darnell, Wright, and Even talked to former Vol Eric gray, who also had a quite a week down there at the senior bowl. I thought Wright was not getting enough draft love before all of this anyway. I mean, after what he did in in 2022, playing lights out against Will Anderson, lights out against B.J. Ojolari, the LSU game, not allowing a sack all year. That How's that guy not a first-round pick? I mean, playing against that type of competition at the right tackle position. And 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 you saw him in, in some mock drafts as a first-round pick, but really kind of solidified himself as, as at least a late first-round pick with his senior bowl performance. And not a surprise that, that he was able to do that. Former five-star guy, definitely lived up to the hype. Took a little, had a little bit of a slow start at Tennessee, but wasn't really in the best situation. Josh Hypo and his his coaches arrived and really helped him take his play to the next level. And he's a he's a versatile player too. I mean, he can play 
inside if he has to. I know the Steelers have kind of been looking at him and considering moving him inside at the next level, kind of like, you know, Trey Smith originally was viewed as a tackle and eventually made his way to guard. And it's really excelling there in the NFL. And he could play on the left side if he needs to. Right tackle is obviously his better better position, but he has experience at left tackle if you need him to slide over there in, in a pinch. So really excited to see where he lands. Somebody's going to be getting a really good player uh, from in Darnell Wright. I I would love to see Darnell Wright get a a good landing spot because with, with offensive linemen in the NFL, man, it matters so much what team you're with. If you could put with a team – that has a quarterback that stinks, it just makes your job really hard. And and vice versa. If you have an offensive line that stinks, being a quarterback in the league is really hard. Sorry to Josh Dobbs uh, <laughs> at the end of the season there with the Titans. Um, and so I, I hope he goes somewhere good. The team that gets in, I'm going to say the same stuff I said about Trey Smith when he was going in the league. Whatever team picks Darnell right up, just like with Trey Smith and the Chiefs, they're going to get a good one. They're, they're going to end up uh with with a really good dude who I could is see probably... maybe maybe landing with the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean they'll have a late first round pick. Their their offensive line they made some additions. They still kind of need some help there. Lyle Collins, I believe, was their right tackle this past season and he did not really live up to the hype. So that could be a fun landing spot for him blocking for Joe Burrow and playing alongside Jamar Chase and T. Higgins. I you know having a good quarterback behind you good running back good wide receivers it just it makes life all of that together makes life easier for everybody um and you know i i think they're it just seems like they're going to be a stable franchise going forward so as much as i would love to say hey i love when i love when vols come and play for the titans that's not the spot right now i mean look good lord lord knows we desperately desperately need offensive linemen don't get me wrong they're just not in a good position in the draft to take right exactly uh i think he'll be later later round probably taken by one of those teams that that got a little further than than the which is good for him good for him because he'll be on an instant contender likely i i am hoping with the new gm for the titans that uh that some better choices are made as far as offensive linemen go uh, but I, yeah, I don't think it'll be Darnell right. But yeah, it, it was just a great showing and it was impressive. And I, I love that you had Byron Young there also. Um, and he, you know, he didn't get the player of the week and all of that stuff, but he, he showed out too. And there's been some nice hype around him. I mean, he just, he just has the look of just like a dude who could really be a, a solid edge rusher. He just has to harness that and and really do it and his career at Tennessee was a little up and down you know he had games where he was the star and he had games where he was nowhere to be found and and so you know I I think he he could I, I would say this I'm pretty much certain with Darnell Wright somebody's gonna get a great choice with him with Young he he's gotta he's gotta develop he's gotta become that guy I don't know that I immediately see, and also just being an edge rusher in the NFL. I mean, it's a tough position to play, and offensive linemen are so good in the NFL to play against. But but I could see him being a nice value for somebody. Yeah, for sure. I I think he he's a, he could use a little more size. Unfortunately, I think that's what what he's yeah. getting deemed for a little bit. But he's very athletic, plays with a high motor. I, he'll probably go like second, third round, somewhere in that in that range. And it's really hard to project edge rushers, unless you're one of those top guys, like a Miles Garrett type guy. 
it's really hard to project. I mean, we've seen some really good third, fourth round picks develop into Pro Bowl edge rushers, and we've seen guys bust and never see the field hardly they're drafted in that range so it really is a toss-up when it comes to drafting an edge rusher like byron young i did want to see i wonder where some of these services actually have guys stacking up uh in these well, I, drafts. Can, I know mr jones here asked about where where's jalen hyatt projected to go yeah seen a lot of late first round early to mid second round he's kind of hard to project i think we'll have a better idea on where he will go after the combine after they see like his exact measurables as far as height and weight his 40 time obviously if he gets in that 4-2 range that's really gonna you know set the hype up for him he could be one of those guys that he goes and blows everybody away with his 40 time maybe he jumps into maybe the top 20 of the draft i mean that's certainly possible we've seen that happen before with with wide receivers when they show out at the combine cedric Tillman. well oh, go I, I was gonna say so i'm just looking at cbs they have him at 26 overall in the first round jahiat so yeah, yeah. and then think pretty highly of him always ddc you're mentioning cedric tillman could be a steal for a team in the draft i think so too i mean because of his injury this year, he's really fell off the the draft radar for a lot of people. But honestly, I think he'll probably be a better pro player than Jalen Hyatt just because of his skill set. I mean, he's got such good body control. I was watching a lot of his passes catches from last season in 2021. Just the way he's able to adjust his body to some of those throws looks like an NFL wide receiver. Like that stuff that you don't see a ton in the college game. And he was excellent at it. And he can he can run. He's vertical. He can get down the field and create some splash plays. He's obviously not nearly as fast as Jalen Hyatt, but he's got good game speed. He's just a smart receiver in general. I mean, we saw some of the routes he ran. I know there's a lot of talk about the routes that Tennessee receivers run, but he had some good ones against Georgia and Keely Ringo. Keely Ringo got the best of Tillman a few times. I mean, that's a first round pick too. They they went head to head, but Tillman got him a couple of times last year and this year. I well. I'll just, I was going to talk about something else, but it's a little off point. So you you wrote about this, Zach, as far as that goes. Speaking of Tennessee players that might be in this draft, Hinton Hooker was at the Senior Bowl. He was on one of the rosters, but he did not play, obviously, because of that injury, um, the unfortunate ACL tear. But uh, he, he did the whole round of interviews. He did everything. And actually, he ended up talking to uh, our one of our partners, 104.5 The Zone in Nashville. He was on with a uh, two-time guest of the A to Z Sports Big Orange podcast, Ramon Foster, great VFL also. Um, but R- Ramon, what is it? Uh, Ramon, Kayla, Ramon, Ramon and Taylor, Will. Will. Ramon, Ramon Kayla, Will. Will. I don't know which order it goes in, their names. Uh, but Hinton Hooker went on that show this week, and he talked about, I, I think the, some of the viewers of this show will want to know. He mentioned specifically that he talked to the Titans first out of all of the teams that were there. Do you put any significance on that? Could could we see Hinden coming on home? Not. I mean, it's certainly possible that the Titans could select him, and they they have an unsettled quarterback room kind of moving into next season. But I I don't put much stock into the fact that he talked to him at the Senior Bowl. I mean, Jim Nagy, the director of the Senior Bowl, was pretty upfront at the beginning of the event that every player was going to talk to every team. It just happened that that hooker talked to the Titans first. I really don't know where he's going to go because I don't think he's viewed it. Obviously the injury is going to hurt his draft stock a little bit, even though he says he's going to be pretty much ready by training camp. 
but I don't think he's going to be viewed by any team as like a day one type starter that they can just stick in there and lead the team because of the injury. Because I think there's some questions, obviously, about the offense and how it will tra- how his you know skills will translate to an NFL style offense, which I think those are fair questions. Even you don't have to agree with them. Uh, that's just a hurdle that that Tennessee players have to kind of jump over here in these next couple of years is proving that you can make that leap from Josh Heupel's offense to the NFL as a quarterback, wide receiver, and these other positions. So I think that'll cause him to drop a little. I think he'll probably be maybe maybe late second. I'm thinking more third, possibly fourth round. You never know with these quarterbacks. I mean, we've seen these guys fall quite a bit in years. I mean, Malik Willis last year was being mocked in the first round, and he didn't go till you know third round, like number 86 overall. So it's hard to glean much from these meetings. The Steelers met with Malik Willis a ton last year. Mike Tomlin took him out to dinner and then they take Kenny Pickett. A lot of times these meet and they never met with Kenny Pickett once during the pre-draft process. Obviously they knew him well because he's in Pittsburgh, but a lot of times these meetings, uh, they're kind of to throw other teams off. So you don't really know what they're doing, or maybe you're trying to boost somebody's draft stock because you have no plans on taking them hoping that your player will, will will drop a little further. I mean, these are all things that NFL teams do. So it's it's hard to glean too much from these conversations. I, I'm really interested. I'll throw in a plug here. For our midweek segment this week, we're going to have, hopefully, we're not sure exactly who it's going to be yet. At least it's not set in stone. But uh, we're going to have uh, an NFL draft analyst uh, on. And uh, we're going to talk about some of these concepts. And I'm I'm interested to see what they have to say uh, about Hooker and specifically about the Titans and taking a quarterback because the sort of the things that I've seen from the Titans, I don't think that's the direction that they're going to go. And it could be what you're saying where it's just like, hey, let's see how this kid is. Go go from there because the talk the chatter around the Titans has been that they're like looking at maybe trading up for one of the big time quarterbacks or trading for like, a, you know, one of the geezers, the, an Aaron Rodgers or somebody like they're, they're really weighing all options because Ryan Tannehill has stunk it up um, in, in the last little bit. And, you know, has just been injured constantly and things like that. And now they have the new GM and, you know, they, they could be moving that direction. I, I don't, see it and i and i almost for hooker's sake i mean i'm a giant titans fan i almost hope for his sake he goes somewhere else <laughs> because i think the titans in unless the titans ship out malik willis and there's really a spot there for him to to sit and develop i i don't want hooker thrown in some kind of position like go and be the starter for us big guy get out there and then he just gets crushed like i that would be a nightmare um, because Lord knows the Titans offensive line is not just going to be some, you know, great wall out there next season. It's still going to probably be not great. And so, uh, it, you know, I sort of for his sake, I hope there's some some other team that comes along that's a better fit maybe. But I, I thought it was interesting. I love it. I, I want anybody that plays at the University of Tennessee. I love when they come and play for the, for the Titans. I mean, I, I told you this. I was almost one of the people that was when the Titans were going to play the the Jags in the final week of the season, um, the playoffs were on the line. I was almost like, let's just go ahead and lose. I, you know, end this 
and hopefully it'll make the franchise take more action towards the future. And then when Dobbs got put at starting quarterback, I was like, all right, I want Dobbs to win. I want, yeah. I want Dobbs to get this, this W go to the playoffs. So I'm, I'm a sucker for, for some balls playing with the Titans, but on that one, I don't personally see it, but like I said, we're going to have uh, hopefully a, a draft analyst on for the midweek segment this week, and, and they'll be able to tell us a little bit more. Uh, honestly, if the Titans were going to take a Tennessee player, I think Cedric Tillman might be their best bet. Yeah. Like they could use wide receivers, and I think he would fit pretty well with what they try to, what they have been doing offensively. I don't think Mike Vrabel is going to move too far away from what they've been doing, regardless of who their new OC is. Uh, always DDC says, I'm hearing the Saints are interested in Hinden Hooker. That would be cool. There's a ton of Tennessee players down there. With, yeah. Uh, Alvin Kamara and Alante Taylor, who had a great rookie season. Marquez Calloway shot totals down there as well. Yeah, that would be, uh, not, not too bad. I, I could root for him there, but, uh, otherwise, as far as those senior games go there, there were other, I don't know the names of the other ones. There's a bunch of those postseason Shron bowl Trey, Trey, that's what it was Jerome marvin i believe we're in that yeah you know, the, the one thing about hooker that we kind of glossed over real quick before we move on he i mean he helped his draft stock a ton just by being present and being a part of meetings and being uh he, he wasn't just there for the for the trip like he was engaged and everybody was really impressed by that and it, it wasn't just that it was the fact that the senior bowl, you don't, you know, you're not, you're not going to have a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud or these people that are declaring early, right? So you could have had Will Levis there, though. You could have had Stetson Bennett. They both declined the invitation. Stetson Bennett declined it because he's working on his, his draft process. Because he's busy getting arrested for public intoxication. Yes. That's what he's, <laughs> he says that he's getting ready for the draft and he's, yeah, getting arrested. Yeah. And then Will Levis. I know there's been a lot on Will Levis. I've been very critical of him on, on social media. And I think those criticism, criticisms are legitimate based on how he's played. But for him, there wasn't a really a lot of advantage to going to the senior ball. His draft his draft type's already higher than it should be. So why, if anything, he would hurt his draft stock a little bit by going down there. And he's he actually has been working out with Hendon Hooker in California. So kind of understood his, his reasoning for skipping it. But... Either way, when you got a guy with a torn ACL showing up to, to participate in that, it makes Levis and Bennett look a little worse because they did not show up, especially Bennett, considering his uh, yeah. extracurricular activities last week. I, I think it's a it's a great character move by by Hooker, you know, just really showing that he wants to get out there and, and make sure that his name is in front of these guys at these organizations. I, I think it's awesome, and I, I mean, Lord help you if you – think that there's something definitive about will levis being one of the like best dudes in this draft i don't know where you see it but a I'll lot of these draft analysts do. i'll let you handle that comment then with that thought do do y'all think the colts are going to draft will levis or stetson bennett good lord i hope so please <laughs> please i i need the colts to continue sucking that that's i mean as far as the titans fan goes i mean i am all for that like the kid um, has the tools. You watch him throw the ball. It comes. I mean, it's it's impressive. But I don't think he has the composure. I don't think he has the mindset. He gets rattled way too easy. We saw yeah. him pouting uh, during the Tennessee game. That little move where he tried to move, bring the offense all the way back on the field because he was convinced that Tennessee didn't come down with the interception cleanly. Yeah. Terrible look. Terrible look. Like you can't <laughs> can't do that. Like it reminds me of like Russell Wilson and and the fake 
rah rah, you know, trying to get his team fired up. It's just not genuine at all. So yeah. maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Will Levis ends up being a great pro. I just get like Mitch Trubisky vibes from him. Everybody keeps well. Everybody, I th- I think it was. I don't Mel Kiper or one of those dudes. They bring up like Josh Allen. They're like, well, Josh Allen stunk in college. Like, yeah, he's like a one in a thousand type of dude. People that stink in college usually stink in the league. He's an exception, not the rule. <laughs> it's like Nathan Peterman. He's doing in the NFL what he did in college. Exactly. And why he was is not anybody some surprised? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'll here. Eric actually. Uh, is getting at where, where I wanted to go here. Are we going to mention Wanya Morris wearing the T on his helmet, fair or foul? We're going to talk about that in just one second. But first, we got to have uh, a brand new segment on the show to wrap up this Senior Bowl discussion. That it, it can be this segment and and talking about uh, Wanya Morris wearing the Tennessee T on his helmet along with the Oklahoma uh, symbol there. But uh, brand new segment from uh, our recurring sponsor from the football season, Omaha Steaks. This is uh, going to be a segment called, uh, let me make sure I don't get this wrong, Who's Cooking? Presented by Omaha Steaks, where we're going to talk about who in Tennessee sports is cooking it up this week. Uh, and uh, I, I think you may know where we're going with this, but uh, before we get into it, I'll tell you, this Valentine's Day, fall in love with flavor when you save on delectable dishes and tantalizing tastes from Omaha Steaks with their love at first bite sale. It's the perfect time to celebrate your better half and bring the steakhouse experience home for Valentine's Day. Go to omahasteaks.com and use promo code VOLS, that is V-O-L-S, at checkout, and you'll get $30 off your order. That's $30 off an endless variety of delicious gourmet foods from perfectly aged and tender steaks, juicy burgers, decadent desserts, and classic comfort meals. Every bite is guaranteed to be perfect and is backed by their 100% satisfaction guarantee. Visit omahasteaks.com and a promo code VOLS at checkout to get $30 off your order today. And let me tell you, they have sent me their stuff. I have eaten a ton of it at this point. Was eating it this week, actually, a, a, a filet. And it is phenomenal. Uh, the, the quality of what you get from Omaha Steaks is super high. And it comes right to your door. I mean, what more could you ask for? No one comes close to matching the flavor, tenderness, and value of Omaha Steaks. Order today and share a special meal with your special someone. OmahaSteaks.com. Promo code VOLS at checkout for $30 off. Minimum order may be required. That is Omaha Steaks. Promo code VOLS. Now, who's cooking for us, Zach? I mean, we really... It's a slow time of year for Tennessee sports, even though we, you know, we could say something about basketball, but there wasn't really anything to say in terms of anybody cooking with the basketball team. So where are we going with this segment? Zach? Yeah, I think it's got to be Darnell Wright this week. I mean, yeah. I don't think we heard any Tennessee player's name in any sport more this week than we heard Darnell Wright's name for his performance out of the Senior Bowl. Like we said earlier, dude just drafted, boosted his draft stock a ton by by showing up and showing out down there in Mobile. Really excited for his future. Couldn't have went better for him and uh, really, really deserving of all the praise that he received. Such a quiet, quiet guy. I don't know if you saw him on Ramon, Kayla, and Will. Uh, he did an interview after Hendon Hooker, but he's he's just kind of a meek guy. But, man, he's he is tenacious on the field. I mean, he has yeah. seen a lot of the clips of like some of the All-22 Angels that people have been tweeting out. Like he gets after it, and he does not like give up on a play. He He's prideful, too. I, I don't know if you saw the comment. Hendon Hooker talked about it first, said that 
Darnell Wright got mad at him because he gave up because Hooker got sacked in the Kentucky game, and Darnell Wright felt like Hendon Hooker was to blame for the sack. And, and turns out he was. PFF credited Hendon Hooker with the sack because he didn't throw the ball away. But Darnell Wright was very prideful about keeping that zero sack streak up. So it's a guy that cares about what he does out there on the field and and doesn't take any plays off. I love it. He, he's from the sound of that in particular. It just sounds a lot like just that general mentality from Heupel and his his whole crew. Uh, it's that sort of just like quiet dog. It's like they don't go out there pounding their chest, but they'll they'll be beat your head in if they get the chance. I I love that. That's great. And yeah, Darnell. I hope nothing but the best for that kid because he's killed it for Tennessee. Been through a lot. Year. I mean, you know, he had to go through the Jeremy Pruitt era after being such a highly touted recruit and didn't really get off to a great start necessarily, at least not like the five-star hype start that you would imagine, but really such a strong finish to his career at Tennessee, one of the better offensive linemen Tennessee's had. Yeah, he, he really brought it down the stretch of his career. It's really cool to see. I I did love this comment. Speaking of the who's cooking segment, uh, Mr. Jones says, Vols basketball must be cooking with a brick oven. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a great one. <laughs> Oh, boy. All right. Now let's finish the Senior Bowl discussion with this uh, little tidbit. Wanya Morris, former, speaking of Tennessee offensive lineman, a former Tennessee offensive lineman that transferred out when Pruitt left. He went to Oklahoma. He was one of the the guys that Lincoln Riley snatched from Tennessee. Um, And at the Senior Bowl, he wore an Oklahoma helmet, but then also put the power tee on the back of the helmet and there were a lot of fans I saw on Twitter that were really dogging him over this. I'm, I would say I'm a little torn on it. What did you think when you saw that? I mean, I thought it was a, a, a nice ode to Tennessee because we don't know fully why Wanye Morris left Tennessee. We know that there was a lot of stuff that went on with some players that were at Tennessee uh, with the recruiting violations. And, and we don't know fully in depth who was involved and who wasn't. But there have been folks that have insinuated like Brian Maurer, the former quarterback at Tennessee. I know had a Twitter exchange with some fans not that long ago where he insinuated that it wasn't his choice to leave Tennessee and he didn't go into details, but he was another one of those that was kind of wrapped up in some of that recruiting stuff that we, we heard some different things about his level of involvement and all that. So was Morris wrapped up in some of that and didn't have a choice, but to leave maybe, that's possible, right? I mean, it seems like he has an affinity for Tennessee still, or did he just see, okay, things are going terrible here. I don't know where this program's going. I need to go somewhere that's going to have me, you know, help me get to the NFL. Was that his mindset? If that was, I mean, I can't fully fault him for that, but then also I think that takes away from the players that stayed, which Josh Heupel has many times praised the guys that stayed, and he's talked about the 30-some players that left the program. So there's a little bit of a kind of back and forth there, like Josh Heupel obviously took that a little bit personal when those players left, but Wanya Morris is showing that, you know, he still cares about Tennessee too. It should be noted that Eric Gray did not have the same helmet decal on his Oklahoma helmet at the senior bowl. That's true. He did not. I, I mean, my initial reaction was, you know, no, 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 you don't get to do this. You left. You don't get to come in here and, and steal the valor of this 11-2 and football team. That was my initial reaction. And that could be correct, to your point there. That could be correct. But it is that outlying factor that we don't know 
exactly why he left. If there had been a story where, you know, he had left and been like, F Tennessee, I'm glad I'm leaving, you know, something like that. And then he did this, I would be like, uh, uh-uh, you don't get to do any of this and even act like you were ever affiliated with this school. But there was never any of that. And there was so much fallout from that NCAA nonsense that if he was wrapped up in that and, and, you know, if he himself just felt like, I don't want to get in any trouble, I'm out of here. Or if it was the incoming coaches or the administration or anybody that was sort of like, maybe you need to go. I don't know. And that that's never, we're not going to know. I'm sure that's going to stay between him and God probably for the rest of time. Uh, or until he, you know, becomes like Arian Foster and like goes on a podcast or whatever. But like, I, we just don't know. And so I'm not gonna rake him over the coals for that. And as much as, like I said, as much as my initial reaction was, was just to be like, no, you don't get to do that. No, no, no. You do have to think it through all the way and kind of go like, okay, maybe the kid didn't want to leave. He still feels a connection to Tennessee. I'm sure he's still friends with dudes. Oh yeah. They're at Tennessee. I guarantee that. And those dudes like, look, the players, they don't, like there's some personal stuff sometimes like Henry Toto with Princeton Fant and all that that happened, you know, him kind of making fun of Henry Toto. A lot of those guys are cool with Henry T. I mean, you see him comment on his Instagram post. I mean, they they just look at it differently than fans do because they, you know, maybe they look at it more as a business and not a lifetime decision. I don't know. Right or wrong, those guys seem to get along okay with a lot of the guys that left. Not always. I, I, somebody, was it? Eric Gray that tweeted something about Tennessee in Tennessee when he was going over BFL or something. And another player like threw some shade at him for, for leaving and, and including that. So everybody feels different. You got a, you got a team with a hundred and some different players. They're all going to have different takes on this stuff, just like fans. Definitely. Yeah. Th- I mean, for sure. Players look at things differently. I mean, you can look at like the interviews with former players that we've had on this show, just their, their general mentality towards what just even what happens with Tennessee's team. I mean, they don't, they don't look at it the same. I mean, I think the prime example is like Jonathan Crompton, a a guy who had a rough time at Tennessee and really, you know, the fans uh, were not his biggest fan for a while at Tennessee. And then, you know, his, his mentality still, even after, all of that and everything that happened, the fallout with Kiffin, he was, you know, he's Kiffin's quarterback and he's still, he's a huge Tennessee guy and he still loves it here. And he's still boys with guys from that team. And, um, and then also when, when Tennessee plays football, he's not like a Tennessee fan, just like super nervous being like, ah, he's cool, calm and collected. Cause it's just the way that former players are. It's, it's yeah. It, it's just hard to think through their lens when you haven't done it. But regardless, I, I go, you know, the original question was, is that fair or foul? I kind of go like, neither. It's like, I don't love it because he doesn't play for Tennessee and he didn't play for Tennessee in this 11-2 season. But also, I'm not going to rake him over the coals. So hopefully that that fence writing answer doesn't piss anybody off. But (laughs) it's how I feel. (laughs) Uh, What do you think about, I think this is can be part of this discussion real quick then. Uh, Jared Garantano was kind of in some mentions and and I talked on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. I tweeted out a video that showed how much talent the 2019 team had on it. 
And it featured Darren Tano. You know, he's in the NFL backup quarterback with the Denver Broncos currently. Uh, I think he was with the Cardinals for a little bit. But he's still getting a lot of hate. And I struggle with that because, no, those weren't great years for Tennessee. Yeah, Darren Tano did some things that weren't great, like the the goal line, going rogue on the goal line against Alabama. People point out the Georgia Tech game where he was pouting on the sidelines, but you know we've kind of learned that that wasn't what it looked like necessarily. There were some promises made to him that weren't kept and were broken literally right before kickoff in the locker room. Uh, how do you view him? Like, do you have a dislike of him? Because the dude was like, he gave it his all. He played with a broken hand at one time. He he took a beating almost every single week. Even in these highlights, when he completed passes, he's still getting hit. Uh, he, I don't know, like how do you how do you view his legacy? Him as a Tennessee player, all everything he took. How how do we how do we reconcile all that? There's so much kind of nuance there because yes, at a baseline, especially like when he was leaving Tennessee. I think I said something to the effect of like, thank you for your service. You took a beating for this school and you should be appreciated for that. Comma. (laughs) (laughs) He stunk and was not good as a quarterback at Tennessee, but was, was him again, was him stinking a product of what was around him and the way that Pruitt was coaching and, and just everything that happened. Like I, and we heard that Pruitt it's, was calling plays, overriding Jim Chaney, calling plays that they didn't even practice. Yes. And we've heard that from within the program. Like, we've heard that not just conjecture. Like, we've heard that firsthand that that happened. So, like, that's got to weigh in, too. Like, you, you, you simply cannot look back on his time at Tennessee and go, you were a great quarterback for the— It's not like Dobbs, where Dobbs drug Butch's dumbass to nine wins. You know, it's not like that. Like you can't look back and, and have that same legacy, but I, I don't, you also just, man, you just can't dog him because he really, he gave it all out there for Tennessee and just got beaten over the head for his efforts. So I, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. <laughs> I would put it that way. It just really, I think that's, that's where it just has to land because yeah, you can't look back and be like, Oh, you were great here. He simply wasn't, he just wasn't, but also, he didn't look back and spit on Tennessee and he wasn't vindictive and he didn't do anything like that. And so you just kind of go, thank you for your efforts. It was time so long. And that's, that's that, you know, I, I, I guess, unless is there anything I'm not thinking of there? I don't, I don't think so. If he goes and balls out in the NFL, which I don't expect, but he was a rookie last year and he did make a roster. And like I said, he was the primary backup there for Denver for a week or two. And Russell Wilson was out you know, he was one, one snap away from getting into the game. He finished at Washington State. If he goes and he becomes a starter, is he a former Vol? I mean, he barely <laughs> played at Washington State because he was hurt. There's no way they can claim him. He's to, I mean, to me, yeah, he didn't play really. Like, he got hurt like right off the bat. Yeah. See, that's tough because he did leave, but then he didn't play at the next school because it's not it's not like Jalen Hurts with Oklahoma where he went like made the playoff and did the whole thing this debate's gonna rage every single year because of the portal like there's gonna be guys like this constantly like Virginia like if Hendon Hooker goes and has a great career in the NFL Virginia Tech fans and be like yeah he's a former Virginia Tech player I mean I even saw a USC Twitter account posting about Valus Jones I saw this and Valus 
quoted it with a you know go big orange because he made his mark at Tennessee. He didn't really do much at USC. If not for Tennessee, he's not a, a second round pick in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely not. It's an inter- I mean, it's a conversation that means absolutely nothing because it you know it's all subjective and it doesn't really matter. But it is interesting how these conversations keep popping up and everybody from Patrick Mahomes to Joe Burrow and uh, gets to comment on it and and has their take on it. Yeah, poor. Poor JG. <laughs> it was unfortunate how that went down, but uh, regardless, let's finish the football talk before we finish the whole show with basketball talk. Just I'm putting it off as long as possible. <laughs> um, Alabama this week, they have an opening at offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator. They made both hires this week. At offensive coordinator, they grabbed Tommy Reese from Notre Dame, a Notre Dame alum, which that was probably the most interesting part of that whole thing. Um, you know, a, a real stalwart Notre Dame guy. And then uh, that's their offensive coordinator. And then a defensive coordinator, uh, they they went with, it was, uh, I, I was thinking too much about Tommy Reese. They hired uh, uh, Kevin Steele. Kevin Steele. Gosh, I couldn't, I couldn't think of his name. I was like, he's a former Tennessee guy. I know that much. I was going to let you go for a few more seconds. But... I know. <laughs> I just, <laughs> anyway, Kevin Steele. I just couldn't think of his name. I was thinking of background. Former Tennessee, or a Tennessee alum, uh, former Tennessee staffer, a former Auburn staffer, a former Clemson staffer, a Clemson LSU, defensive coordinator. He's been everywhere. <laughs> yeah, he's he has been a uh, a real journeyman. Um, but you know, famously at Clemson, was the defensive coordinator when Clemson got beat like seventy to thirty, and then he got fired like the day after. Um, uh, you know. Is this a sign that Alabama, because in this process, let's go back in this process, Alabama tried to hire some people and got rejected. Specifically, the offensive coordinator at Washington. Is is Saban losing his touch a little bit? Is or would be is this a is this a discussion where we're, we're kind of like all the people that throughout the years they've been like the dynasty is over and then they're wrong every single year? Is that what we're about to do here? Probably. I mean, I'm not ready to say that the dynasty is over by any means, but I think you're seeing the rest of college football start to catch up to him a little bit. Like even the games they didn't lose last year were close. And I think you're starting to see him fall into like, okay, what am I comfortable with? Where he's not wanting to evolve as much. I mean, you hire Kevin Steele. It's a guy that's it was his first DC at Alabama. And he I think he was back later on in, in some sort of, you know, off the field role. It's not, I mean, Kevin Steele is not a guy that's ever really put down roots anywhere. He's constantly on the move, never really seems to have a home for a long time. People think that he was part of the reason Gus Malzahn got fired, that he was kind of had a mutiny there and and overthrew Gus Malzahn in hopes of getting the job and some boosters wanted him. So, you know, I think that's part of the reason that Josh Heupel never really considered keeping him on staff when he was hired, among other reasons. So it's a really interesting hire, but it, it really is just like, okay, this is going to be Nick Saban's defense. Like he's just going to run what Nick Saban wants to run. Like there's not going to be any evolution or anything new. It's just going to be the old school Kevin Steele, Nick Saban type defense. And and offensively, Tommy Reese, I mean, I don't know how to evaluate that guy because Notre Dame didn't really have good quarterback play last year, but the offense wasn't great. Notre Dame fans don't seem that sad that he's leaving. Um, so I, I don't really know how to view that either. Brian Kelly 
didn't bring him the Baton Rouge. I think he might have tried, but I'm not really sure the whole extent of that. It, it, and honestly, like it's going to mean Alabama's moving to more of like a offense that Georgia runs. A lot of run the ball, control the clock, utilize your tight ends. You're going to throw the ball down the field. You have to throw the ball down the field, but it's going to be kind of that Georgia style of offense. And I feel like that's a direct response to Tennessee and some of these other up-tempo high-scoring offenses. They want to slow it down. They want to control the clock. Doesn't always work. Uh, but if you got the talent that Alabama has and that Georgia has, it can work. But like Saban's never done that before. He's never moved backwards like into something that he used to do. And that's what he feels like he's doing with both of these hires. And usually when a coach starts doing that, that's when I'm like, okay, they're losing a little bit of what made them so great. Because Saban's ability to stay ahead of everybody else, unlike Les Miles and some of these other guys that were winning championships when he was winning championships in the mid early mid 2000s you know they didn't evolve they kind of took this path so i'm not saying that that's what's going to happen at alabama i I don't know i mean i shouldn't doubt nick saban none of us really should because he continues to win but it does seem like there's some signs there that he might be losing a little bit off his fastball time catches up to us all there is no there's no one that escapes it he's not gonna be 90 out there doing it exactly (laughs) i mean it and the man is legitimately getting old at this point. Um, and and I think we said it earlier this season when uh, specifically, I think where I said this was when Georgia beat Tennessee. So Alabama beats, or uh, Tennessee beats Alabama, and then Tennessee goes to play Georgia and loses at Georgia. And I said it felt like a changing of the guard at that point where you know Alabama was finally losing to teams they hadn't lost to in forever. And then Georgia was just taking over as this dominant force. And I think there's some to do with it there um, in terms of just the perception of Alabama and, and what they'll be going forward. And, I mean, his staff has had so much turnover. It, it's always been bad because when you're that good, people are going to want to hire your guys. But it it's been exceptionally bad in recent years. And then, yeah, I mean, you just turn around and I, I, I don't, I don't know the reputation that that job has, but I know he's notoriously hard to work with. Obviously he's a little, you know, little short tyrant and run, <laughs> runs that place like North Korea. And so I, I, I could absolutely see guys turning that job down. And especially like when you evaluate like them getting turned down by Washington, I'm sure Alabama fans see that and they go, how did we let the guy say no? Think about his position. He has one of the best quarterbacks in America coming back next year. Saban's got Jalen Milrow. Who? Like, I think Milrow was like a four or five star kid, but like he stunk it up in the one game that he played in this season or two or whatever it was. And, you know, the at Washington, one of the best quarterbacks in America coming back in one of the easiest leagues in America. What's not to like about that? You know that you're going to have a good year. And so he's going to go from there, and he's going to get a head coaching job. I'm sure that's what he was thinking. And, like, Alabama just as it, – it, it's going to fade with time. It, it happens – it happened with Peyton Manning. It happens with Tom Brady. It happens with anybody and everybody. Time catches us all. And maybe this is that. I don't know. Maybe Saban's got a late – a late career resurgence in him here. They had the number one recruiting class in America this season. So God knows, but uh, you know, I, I just think that 
it's it is just interesting to see, especially like that Tommy Reese hire. Like Kevin Steele, he's had an up and down journeyman career, but he's had good defenses. I mean, you got five star dudes. It's hard not to have a good defense if you yeah. just halfway know what you're doing. Exactly. Like I also think with Kevin Steele, like this, this is what is going to happen. I can pretty much. I can't guarantee it, but really good feeling. This is like a one-year placeholder deal until he can hire yes. Jeremy Pruitt next offseason. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. He he wanted the I mean, the word out of all of that was he wanted Pruitt back and he couldn't. I don't think that, you know, there was something with the NCAA deal or whatever that probably held all that back. But they don't know his penalties will be yet. It'll yeah. be more it'll be clear this time a year from now. And Pruitt would crawl through a pit of lava to get back to Alabama. So yeah. um but with Tommy Reese, I mean that guy. I looked back at the stats. Notre Dame during his time from 2020 to 2022 uh, took them from number 20 in 2022 to number 45 in terms of overall offense in America. And then this past year, they were number 60. Like progressively worse throughout every single year. And nothing was ever particularly remarkable. And then this season, they lost to Marshall. And they just, you know. I don't see anything with that guy. He's not doing anything revolutionary. He's not like a Lane Kiffin where he's like pushing the envelope or anything like that. It's not some cool, like I, I could have seen like a Jeff Levy, somebody like that where you go like, okay, let's, let's get more into this spread offense. But well, there were rumors that they were interested in Levy early on and Levy was not interested at all, which kind of made me think, it, I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, that's just rumors. We don't, they never interviewed. There was no real report connecting them. But if that if that is true, that means that Saban was considering that route for his offense, and that didn't work out. So he's going this way, you know, with Reese, where it's like this, you know, multiple tight ends, run the ball more, get bigger, ground and pound, just kind of exert your will on people. Like that's what Alabama is going to try to move to. I don't know, like that. Georgia had, you know, just a really talented offensive line. Stetson Bennett played out of his mind, above his talent level. You had some receivers that, I mean, the scheme worked. Todd Munkin's a good offensive coordinator. He schemed it up pretty well for for what he had. I'm not sure that that's going to be easily, you know, replicated at Alabama with Tommy Reese. I just don't. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe we're totally wrong about this, and it, it goes beautifully for them. But it seems like Saban wasn't really sure what he wanted to do. And – over this last two years, like his teams haven't been as crisp. They haven't been as well coached. We saw in the Tennessee game, like they lost that game because of the mistakes that they made, self-imposed mistakes. So many. I mean, that's like Tennessee was the more disciplined team in that matchup. And that's something that you've never been able to say about a Nick Saban team ever. So I don't know if it's just the style of player with the NIL era, like his style of coaching just isn't going to work. I think that could be part of it. And that could eventually be an issue at Georgia as well. I think Kirby Smart's kind of recruiting the right guys to fit his culture down there, which is a very odd culture. But I think it's worth watching at Alabama. I can't say that it's the end of this dynasty or anything like that. That would be foolish to say that. But it it certainly feels like it it could be. It I always am so cautious to say that. Because it just, obviously, it's bit so many people through the years. It will happen. It will. It will. At some point. The Patriots. Patriots are no more. It'll end. 
at some point, and Alabama fans will be forced to remember what it was like before Saban showed up. Most of them, I remember. You know, yeah, a lot of them are too young to even recall that Alabama sucked back then. But uh, you know, it'll happen. So there's that. I, I don't have a whole lot more to say about it. Just go. Let's go and beat them again this year. That'll that'll be uh, a nice little. Yeah, go win down there in Tuscaloosa. Won't it be the first time since '03? That five overtime yep. game? I think so. Yep. Ooh, yeah, I remember that one. That was a whew, that was a stressful one. Um mm-hmm. so the final thing for the show. <laughs> Gotta talk about it. Tennessee, Auburn, 46-43. The Vols is the right word to say the Vols won. It didn't feel like it, but they did. The W is in the win column for the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh this game was unbelievable, and I mean that in the absolute worst way. Tennessee, if I'm I'm remembering these stats off the top of my head, but I believe this was the case. Tennessee shot something like 27% from the floor, 54% from the free throw line, and like 9% from three and one. I mean, what? How bad did Auburn have to be? They have to be walking away just uh, totally ashamed. Uh, and this obviously comes after Tennessee went and laid a big fat egg at Florida uh, and got beat by a not very good Florida team. And, you know, it's here's the tough thing. I mean, we had this discussion last week that maybe this defense that Tennessee plays, if they can find the consistent offense, they haven't done that. They hadn't done it yet. If they could find the consistent offense, it's a final four team period. I mean, it just is when you look at the way that this team plays defense, but not only did they not find consistent offense, they found an offense that was historically bad. Uh, I saw a stat that said that game between Auburn and Tennessee, it was the lowest scoring game between two ranked SEC teams since 1949. 74 years. I mean, hello, somebody. What are we doing? Uh, <laughs> like, if Tennessee, from, from three-point, if Tennessee shot 25%, it's a blowout. <laughs> if, if Tennessee had a bad day from the three-point line, it's a blowout. So what does that say about 9% from the three-point line? I mean, God, it was historically atrocious. What does it mean going forward? Your guess is kind of as good as mine. It goes back to what we talked about last week. Will they ever find that offense? I think it exposes the one thing that's going to cost them in, in the NCAA tournament, and it's just that they don't have a guy that can create his own shot. They don't have a guy that can really like Ziegler is probably the closest thing, right? And that's not ideal because he's you know, like size is a factor there when you when you get into that. They just don't have a guy that can take over. Like when you absolutely have to have a, a basket, who are you giving the ball to? Like you, there is not just one clear option. Like I feel like if you ask that question to ten different people, you would get seven different answers. I mean, do you think that they have that guy on the roster? I mean, we know who it should be. And, I mean, folks are saying it over here. Like, Ashton agrees. He says there's no go-to guy. But then I think Mr. Jones has the answer here. It has to be Josiah Jordan-James. If, if he's 100% healthy and he's and playing. He was which the is, best offense against Auburn. Yeah, I mean, he, he, 
he won that game effectively for Tennessee. It was that and the one made three-pointer by Santiago Vescovi. God bless his soul. I don't know how he did it, but he did finally make one of one Maybe of he like just eight. has to be like fouled and falling down. The- <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. But it needs to be Triple J, followed by, and then Ashton says, Phillips, Julian Phillips. I mean, it needs to be somebody like that. Julian Phillips is just not ready. I don't think he's going to be the season. He should come back next season and maybe he'll be ready then. He just isn't. It's just not there mentally. You can tell he's not. Yeah, confident. he seems unsure of himself. Yeah. Yeah. Like you, you can, you just can do tell. it. You could be that guy inside and, and play in the post and store. But yeah. When, 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 he, when he makes an aggressive take to the basket, you go like, oh, there it is. Do, do that. Do that every time down the floor. <laughs> go and do that. And he just, it's just not there. And so. He he's gonna have to grow, and that's really unfortunate. Um, but I mean, when when this team is playing at its best, it has one of the best backcourts in America. Defensively, it easily has the best backcourt in America. Um, the front court is so up and down that I don't even know how you assess it because you literally have no idea what you're gonna get on any given night. And really, the team almost goes as they go because the offense is so much more freed up when things are working offensively inside. If Olivier Kama can make that, that step back baseline shot, things totally change when that becomes a real threat. And so, I mean, they, they just, they can't trust it. Olivier has the game of his life at Texas and then goes and has one of the worst weeks of basketball he's probably ever played. Like I predicted that. Last week on the show, I mean, I went, it just feels like he's going to have this game and then go and lay, lay a stinker. And he did. He he was okay at Florida and then was just, he couldn't throw a pee in the ocean uh, in that game against Auburn. So, I mean, the bottom line is this. I, I You don't need to talk circles around it, I don't think. You have to score the basketball to to win. And they don't know how. I, I, I wish I could put it a, a kinder way. But unless they figure it out, the you know this is going to be another good regular season disappointment in the postseason. I I wish I could say something else. I really wish I could, and and I was really hoping I would come on this show and be like, "Hey, they came in, and uh, and that that Texas game inspired them, and they figured something out, and here we go down the stretch." They didn't. <laughs> Something's broken. Um, yeah, it's a really tough stretch coming up too i mean you go Mm -hmm. to vanderbilt you should easily win that game they're not very good but who knows if you're not scoring you know obviously if vanderbilt can just get to 50 they might have a shot if it's another offensive performance like this against auburn the missouri's not not bad at all and then you play at or then you play at alabama you host alabama in an absolutely massive game and then go to kentucky i mean that's a you win all four of those games and get some help and you're you might be in the conversation, be back in number one, number two in the country. If you see oh, yeah. those, you go like one and three or two and two, and you're you're outside the top 15, probably. Yeah, you're talking about a four seat at that point, probably yeah. for, for Tennessee. So I, I think this is a really important stretch coming up. You have to win both games this week. That's not even in question at Vandy, Mizzou at home. Neither of these teams are particularly good. Mizzou is... I would say fun. They have okay. they have Kobe I mean, Brown. They're capable of capable. winning that game, though. I think, but it but it's in Thompson Bowling. You better win that game. Yeah. Um. But that tough stretch. I mean, it's going to say a lot about this team. I 
I just I don't know what it is about these Barnes teams. Well, this they... is a good a question for you to take here. Mr. Jones asked, does the offense suffer because the defense takes so much energy and effort out? Because they do play at such a different uh, level than a lot of teams. I There has been talk throughout the years that Barnes has been here, and this keeps happening, that he practices his team so hard. And I've been to a lot of Barnes practices when I used to be media. He does. That's 100% true. He practices his guys really hard. Did they get worn down by the end of the season? Um, I mean, their stamina is unbelievable in a general sense. You look at them at the beginning of a season, and they are running circles around every team they play. But, uh, yeah, I maybe they... I mean, that game is a really good example of that. They gave really amazing effort on the defensive end, and then when they came down on offense, they just looked anemic. So... I don't know. I it, it, I think it's more of a confidence thing than it is a a like tired thing. Like there is just not a single guy on this team that wants to take a shot. They it just isn't there. Like it's it is sometimes Josiah Jordan James. It's a lot of times a Kai Ziegler. But in that game, he was over ten from the floor. Yeah. Kai Ziegler couldn't make anything. And so just like you just can't have a game where everybody's off. You like how is that even possible? How has Tennessee had that many games as deep as this team is, where literally every player on the floor can't make a shot? How is that even possible? Like it's stunning. Some of the performances that they've had: that Colorado game, that Florida game, this one against Auburn. Like, they, and they've even won some of them. The Maryland game, the Maryland game was that, and Tennessee found a way. The Auburn game was that, and Tennessee found a way. The defense does carry them to a certain extent, but I mean, good lord, folks. What are we doing in some of these games? So I wanted to be having that conversation so badly that that they had figured something out, that some f- switch had flipped, and it not only did that not happen, but things actually got worse. Uh, I, I think hate, the good news I hate is, this conversation. Yeah. It is it is one we've been having. We've been doing this show for three years now, and it feels like we've been having this similar conversation the entire time. And once again, I think. Something I've said every February is it doesn't matter a whole lot as long as you're one of those top two, three, maybe four seeds. If you can get hot at the right time, you know, you can still make a run. Like it's still all there for this team to go get to a final four. Like I still think they're just as capable as I thought they were, you know, after they beat Texas. They're still the same team. They just can't afford to have these performances. And ultimately, I do think that's what will keep them from the final four. But uh, you know, they they still have it there in front of them. They can still do it. They can still get there. I mean, this team shot 70% from the floor against Mississippi State. <laughs> and then 27% against the Hopper. I mean, it's just as unconscionable. I, but even, like, even this take. I mean, I love Mr. Jones. He's the ultimate optimist. He said, we won, though. That's absolutely true. Yeah, and especially celebrate against Bruce Pearl. Yes, a win over Bruce is incredible, because screw that guy. I know it's a lot of people still like him. I don't. I think and that's starting to flip a little. I hope so. Screw that guy. It's always great to beat Bruce. And and finally, you've won the last two against him, and that's a nice little turn of events. But uh, I, I also go, like, one of the biggest pushbacks that I always get when I bring up any criticism of Tennessee's basketball team is that some, the you know, the real smart guys in the room, they always go, well, you've never watched college basketball, clearly. This happens every week. Who cares? It's it's just a loss at whatever. Well, first of all, you can't have that. That's 
generally true. Mid midseason losses absolutely happen. That one at Florida, like if that if that game was in a vacuum, like uh like Alabama's game at Oklahoma, that game in a vacuum, you go, everybody just had an off night and you stunk it up. But that's about the only game Alabama's had like that this whole season. Maybe against UConn earlier in the year, they got blown out. But like they really haven't done that much. But when it's happening in this recurring way, you have to notice that. And then you can't have your cake and eat it too. That is true. Mid-season losses happen. But then you can't turn around and be like, you really need to be appreciative of this win. Well, I, I thought things in the middle of the season didn't matter. So they'll turn around and be like, yeah, a win in the middle of the season is nice, but it's a mid-season win. What really matters is the postseason win. That's where you have, and that's why I, I said at the beginning of this year, Barnes winning the SEC tournament got a lot of equity with me. That really, that let out the slack line a lot because I was just like, finally, they did something in the postseason. Holy hell, I can't believe it. Like, it was incredible. And then they go the next week and they blow it at the tournament. I mean, it was just too perfect. Uh, and so, yes, midseason losses happen, but I'm also not going to get overly ecstatic outside of the fact that it was a win over Bruce. I love that again. That guy. Yeah, I mean, I it love is a, that, but I'm also yeah. not going to get overly ecstatic about a midseason win either. It it's all about those postseason wins, for sure. And uh, you can't ignore the problems that came up to it. Uh, came with that win. I think you can both things can be true. Yeah, yeah, much rather be having this conversation with a three point win. You know, where neither team broke fifty, but it's yeah. still like okay, there's obviously some issues, and that could be a problem down the road. Like you can't completely ignore that because this has been a pattern at times and it seems like it's becoming more frequent lately seems like it's more likely to have that kind of performance than just the 70 percent performance i'm saying that i i agree and what do you do i mean it's not a rick barnes problem you can't make shots go in Oof, uh, i don't i don't i mean is it i don't think you can criticize him too much on that i think it's i don't i don't criticize him solely certainly not solely i am not like this is a barnes problem it's a team effort. <laughs> I don't think he runs an offense that maximizes his player's ability. I never have thought that. I've said that in years past. He just doesn't. Like last year with Kennedy Chandler, that dude was an absolute firecracker, and Barnes just wouldn't let him run. Like he just wants to play this half-court offense, and I just am like, why? Why do you not want to just maximize this absolute dude that you have out there? And, you know, there's just some stuff like that where you look and – and I, I'm not sure that he's maximizing the players that he has, but also, yeah, I mean, the players are culpable. <laughs> they're, they're the ones chucking up the shots out there going 0 for 10, 1 for 6, whatever it is. At the end of the day, the offense, a decent amount of the time, can spring guys open like a Vescovy. And like against Auburn, he was just bricking wide open shots. Tyreek Key in that game, I don't know what's going on with that guy. Total head case. I mean, he had a shot where there was not a soul within 10 feet of him and just clanged it off the rim. Like, I, what do you even say about that? Yeah, that is not Barnes' fault at all. He's wide, wide, wide open, and that man came here to shoot the basketball. That was his entire function, and he can't do it. So what do you even do? So I do, yes, like I said, it's a team effort. <laughs> I, I don't give anybody a pass. Uh, but, God, please, please don't do this. 
don't do this. Like, that's my, that's my take at the end of that conversation. Don't do this. You're so good. Like, that's why I hate it so much. You're the number six team in America. That's amazing. Think back to when we were watching freaking Buzzball, when we were watching Conzo. What you would have given to be the number six team in America. Like, I would have given my left arm. I'm a basketball guy at the end of the day. And so I, I hate this conversation so much. Just go out and play decent offense. Like, just shoot, just shoot like 40% from the floor. I don't need because you'll you'll win most games by in that way. Yeah, yeah, uh, they would have they would have won by twenty points if they had shot forty percent against Auburn. I mean, this this team now co- college basketball in general sense is wild this season. There is yeah. no great team. Purdue lost over the weekend. Virginia lost over the weekend. Like there, so many teams lost that were in the top ten over the last week. But it, I mean, it really does feel like. Have, <laughs> have you seen that meme? It's like a mom driving in the front seat. She turns around to the kid in the back seat and is like, just be normal. And the kid goes, ah, like that's Tennessee basketball this season where you just go, you can just, no, just be, be okay. Just go and play the elite defense. And then also just play decent offense. That's it. That's all you got to do. And they just go, ah, we're going to shoot 27% from the floor. No, we're not going to do it. Like, Oh, it's so so frustrating. Oh, Mr. Boy. Jones is right. If you could combine Tennessee's football <laughs> offense with the basketball defense, it'd be unstoppable. Oh. oh, both of those teams would be a dynasty. How Man. how how well do you think Josh Heupel could coach? Like, if he just stepped onto the flight, Rick Barnes is out. Health problems. We need somebody. Josh, you're not doing anything this time of year. He just goes out <laughs> there with no prep and coaches this basketball team. How How good or bad do you think it would be? Uh, there's a lot to coaching a basketball <laughs> game, but, but Rick has good, Rick has good assistance. He does. So I, th- I think Hypo could be fine just as like a general motivation guy and like a leading a team guy. Obviously he's good at that. So I'd yeah. love to see his freakouts on the, uh, on the side or over by the, the bench area. Cause we've seen yeah, how please. he can get out of pocket from time to time. Yeah. I would love that. I, I, I don't know that I would. I, I would want to see the assistants probably being the ones sitting down and drawing up the play at the, you know, at the timeout, but, uh, I get one of those switch releases with some guards, you know, <laughs> he, well, could, he could make it happen. And speaking of that, I mean, the, at the, I guess we need to also just talk about the end of this game for multiple reasons. Yeah. The inbounds, Tennessee, just trying to throw the ball inbounds coming out of timeouts. They almost get a five-second violation, call a timeout. And then they just run, they panic play straight into a trap. And I know a lot of people were saying Vescovy got pushed out of bounds. Maybe he did. I watched it a couple of times. It kind of looked like he just got his face Don't, closed out. Not a good position out of bounds. to put yourself in. Like exactly. Basketball 101, the, pretty much. Yeah, v- Vescovy never should have had the ball in the first place because Julian Phillips should have just dribbled the ball up floor is what should have happened. He shouldn't have panicked. He handed it off to Vescovy and was just sort of like, you do this, you know? And uh, that was terrible. But then (laughs) Wendell Green, um, the final shot, I mean, you said it at the beginning, them not calling a foul there and giving Auburn a chance to tie the game was a merciful call. I mean, the people at ESPN were probably like in their ear just going like, no, don't you do not continue this, please. <laughs> don't <laughs> anything but another five minutes of this. Uh, but here's the deal: if he just lands normally, green, that's probably a foul call. And I probably would have gone like, Ugh, yeah, that's a dumb play by 
uh, by Olivier Kamwa because he did get a little in his space. He it wasn't egregious, but if Green just comes down normally and then fall, you know, falls and does a little act there, it it probably would have been a foul. But the that the, perf- the performative nonsense and of him was throwing it- his legs up and. You're not going to get that call. That's was a good he no the one by those refs. Was he the one called for the flop earlier in the game, or was that somebody yes. else for Auburn? Yeah, so it was I a flop that, warning. Yeah, well, they, I thought he got a technical, didn't he? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right, he did. Yeah. yeah, so I think that played into it a little bit as well. Like, that had already happened once. And, and like, there was a lot of stuff in that game. Like, Euros getting the technical for, like, the too short, whatever. And then the Auburn guy did the same thing to Zakai and there was nothing, nothing said at all. There, there so was, there was some inconsistencies both ways there. If you, if you want to go down that road, that game had a lot of minutia where if you don't watch college basketball often, you'll think that's super egregious. And I'm not saying it's good. I'm saying it's normal in college basketball. It annoys me. Make yeah. no mistake. All of that is stupid, but College basketball refs certainly know guys' reputations. And so they see Yurosh getting a little, you know, getting out of pocket. And they go, nope, tech. And it's the same with Wendell Green. They know he's a flopper. They know he's an actor. They get him earlier, and they're not going to give him the benefit of the doubt on that final play. So, like, there's there's a little bit there where somebody who just wants straight-up officiating, yeah, this terrible. I mean, that whole, the way things are done in college basketball is stupid. <laughs> I mean, that, having a reputation. No, just call the game the way it's supposed to be called. That's dumb. But that's just how college basketball goes. Guys have reputations, and they're going to get called within the context of their reputation. Wendell Green's a flopper. He flopped like crazy on that last play, so he doesn't get the call. And to me, in the context of a college basketball game, it's good no call. I mean, it, it just is... Is what it is. Was it a foul by Olivia Kamwa with a, a regular up and down shot? Probably, but it's not because he flopped like crazy and made himself look like an idiot. So uh, there's that. Anything else, Zach, for the good folks at home? We're going long, long, long on this one. Somebody, um, somebody said that Euros is like a vol Twitter. He doesn't always play great. But you always hear him. You always see him chirping and opposing fan bases can't stand him. I was like, man, that's. It's a pretty good comparison there. <laughs> That's great. I mean, that that is probably why I sort of feel about him the way that I do. Is like, he, he certainly annoys me a decent amount of time where I just go, why is this guy even in the game? And then he does things that I'm like... Well, he wasn't in the game much against I, Auburn, really. What he That's play, true. Like 12 he's he's had his time really wrenched down, yeah. especially with uh, with Awaka playing better. And freaking, hey, Rick, as if Rick is listening to this, Rick, play Toby Awaka more. Please, dear God, play him more. Um, but yeah, I, th- with Eurosh, I, I kind of, I, I like the antics until they I bite too. in the butt. Yeah. yeah. I love the antics. Give me all the antics, but, uh, yeah, that, that can come back to bite you at times and, and it has, but that's part of, that's part of sports. It is <sighs> just again, just don't, don't do this. That's oh, that's a great comparison. Speaking of basketball, Mr. Jones says, he oh yeah, is Revol, Steven Adams. Great comparison. Yes. I like yes. That. Probably not as consequential to the team as it appears Steven Adams is to the Grizzlies, but uh Dude, they're since they burn it right now. 
Yeah, they're sucking it up. Lost like six of the last seven or something. And John Morant's like off the court stuff with his entourage going on. It's yeah, I don't know. Terrible. Yeah, that's it's embarrassing because of how good they could be. But that's mm-hmm. an entire other podcast in itself, frankly. Um Charlie Burris. That's Zach Reagan. Thank you so, so much for listening again. I mean, we got all these new sponsors and it's because of the awesome people that listen to the show. We very literally could not do it without you. Um, thank you for listening so much, Mr. Jones, every, everybody, even, even big tin Jeff, let's go through Ashton, John, uh, everybody that watched Billy. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Charlie's uh, oh. handwritten notes out later. <laughs> Maybe we will. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, this guy commented a lot. Always DDC. He, he was cool today. Eric, Really appreciate you watching. Um, Midweek show. Again, we're going to have an NFL uh, draft analyst. Someone, again, it's not set completely in stone yet. Um, And so, uh, you know, watch out for it. So subscribe on on YouTube to the A to Z Sports Nashville channel. Make sure that you don't miss that because we're going to get into Tennessee's draft prospects and talk about all of that. Should be awesome. Uh, Really appreciate it again. See you the midweek segment. If and if not, then it all fell through, and you know that. So follow us everywhere on social media. We'll talk to y'all in a couple days. See you guys then.